I know some might ask the question with the uh, verse that we have in, in that particular hymn, in uh, the verse where the chorus it says of being happy all the day, and some might say, well, are we really happy all the day as Christians? And uh, certainly there are days when we're not happy. Maybe there's mourning, there's grief, there's sorrow, legitimate things. But uh, while I can't speak for the hymn writer, and uh, for the one who assisted Isaac Watts there, uh, certainly there's a reality in the Christian life that we might have trials and tribulations, but at the same time it's possible to know the blessing of salvation all the day. And in that sense, there is an abiding happiness of which the hymn writer writes. The sea might be tempestuous above and stormy, but underneath there's a deep calm and uh, a deep peace. And I believe that's what the, uh, the very thrust of what the hymn writer is writing about there. So lovely hymn, and we thank God for it this evening. We're going to have two readings of Scripture uh, this evening as we turn to the Word of God. So do turn with me, please, in your Bibles, first of all, to uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. Now, both of these readings are going to be in the New Testament Scriptures. The first one will be in Mark and chapter 8, and then turning to Acts, chapter 14 afterwards. So Mark, chapter 8, and uh, I said this morning, indicated also just through the uh, the, the usual text I send out uh, through WhatsApp that we want to look at our third message in a short series, which I've called Earnest Contenders, and it's really about a defense of our faith, uh, the Christian faith, what the Bible teaches. This evening, the, the question and the objection is this, is Christianity simply a comfort blanket? Is it a crutch for the weak? Is it only that for the intelligent or the unintelligent as so often is accused? Well, that's going to be our, our message and our theme this evening. And uh, through the scriptures, I'll seek to address it as best as I possibly can. But let's read the scriptures first of all before we go any further. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. And uh, I want to read first of all from verse uh, number 31. Mark, chapter 8 and verse 31. And we read these words, And he, that is Christ, began to teach them, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly. And Peter took him and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savourest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples, also he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Be good if you mark that portion. We'll turn to it sort of midway through our message but also Acts chapter 14. So not too far away, Acts chapter 14, just a few verses here, uh, verse 19. Acts chapter 14 and uh, verse 19, we read about Paul and uh, an occasion where he was near to death. 
for the sake of the gospel. Well, let's read this portion. Acts 14, verse 19. And there came thither, they came there, certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people. And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we, through much tribulation, uh, we, through, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. So we'll finish the reading there, uh, that verse, and you can mark that one as well. And we'll come back to these portions very soon as we get to our message. But first of all, let me just welcome everyone this evening as we have made it out to the house of God for this uh, gospel service. It's good to see uh, each of you along and uh, do welcome you in the Saviour's holy and precious name. Have some of Naomi's family, uh, my family as well, I should say. I'm not detaching myself from you guys over there. Maybe not this evening, but on other occasions I might do. But it's nice to have them with us and uh, trust the Lord to bless them uh, amongst us. Uh, this evening, Roy was saying, just as I came up the prayer meeting, although I was a little bit late for the prayer meeting this evening, uh, he, he, he just said, and uh, I like to embarrass Roy because he can take it this evening, um, it, it's your anniversary. I, I, I was alarmed, first of all, thinking it was my wedding anniversary, uh, Roy, and that's why I was sort of fearful at the beginning, and then realized that was a month ago, I'm okay. I, I did that one. I did the, the, the wedding anniversary. It's been, what, 10 years, know me, or something? No, it's more than that. I'm just <laughs> getting myself into trouble here. But uh, two years uh, this week. That's right, boy, isn't it? Two years this week uh, since we came here into the church. So that's sort of time frame. I did ask if he had cake. He just laughed and walked away. Uh, so everyone's invited to Roy's afterwards for cake and uh, for tea. And uh, I'll knock the door first and I'll be leaving last for it. Um, so, yeah, two years have gone by, guys. It's, it's quick, isn't it? And I'm sure as each year goes by, it will seem quicker and quicker. But we thank God for his encouragements over the last two years, and may the Lord bless us uh, in, in the years ahead. Just a few things to mention, nothing really new from uh, this morning regarding the announcements. So just remember, please, our Bible study Wednesday at 8 p.m., and do come for the Bible study and the prayer meetings. We look at First Corinthians and in our open air is Thursday, God willing, in Conway Square in the town at 12. And next Lord's Day services, the regular times. And uh, the seasons of prayer beforehand, I'll be with you on uh, both occasions in God's will to preach the word of God. I mentioned about the Reverend Foster, Andy Foster, uh, there in British Columbia. And um, just pray for the, the family circle at this particular time. And also just remember to pray for uh, little Sophia Ennis. Just heard on the way out from, from Maine, I was speaking to David this afternoon that she had an accident yesterday in her home and um, she uh, had lost consciousness for a little while. She, she knocked her head, uh, but she seems perfectly fine now. They've checked her out. They've waited a length of time, uh, but obviously it's a very concerning time for them. So just a matter of really just waiting these days, making sure that Sophia is fine. So do pray for the little girl that God would just keep her safe and uh, no reoccurrence of those issues uh, over the last weekend. I'm sure that Rachel and David uh, would cert certainly appreciate that. The, the Missionary Council weekend, I mentioned up this morning, so if you're interested, that's the 3rd to the 5th of November, and you can speak to Ben and Ruth for more information. 
There is our own first aid course on the 2nd of September. Again, put your names down, please, if you have not and you're interested in being a first aider and these things. Again, if you're not sure of what goes on, you can speak to Alan uh, about those things. And then Friday the 8th of September is our first fellowship meeting of this particular season. And as I said, taking really the form of an annual meeting, just reviewing the year, looking ahead to what is before us. Uh, and then also time of supper and fellowship and uh, time of praise around the hymns and the choruses that we have. The, the answer for the question for the boys and girls this morning, for those who are here, I asked them a question for their notes. So who is called the accuser of the brethren in the Bible? That's the devil, that's Satan. He's called the accuser of the brethren. And uh, my question this evening that I have, again, for the boys and the girls and for all who maybe want to follow along this evening and know this answer, what happened to Paul at uh, Lystra? So we have read that, but were you, were you reading with me and uh, listening? So what happened to Paul at Lystra when he was there in Iconium and so on? Well, uh, find out a bit more of that as we come to our message. Well, let's sing together our next hymn before we turn to the message, and it's number 314. Okay, so f- 314 in our hymn books. My happy soul rejoices, uh, the sky is bright above. I'll join the heavenly course voices and sing redeeming love. There's power in Jesus' blood. 314 on page 303 will stand again as we sing, please. Let's stand as we sing.
Well, we're turning back in our Bibles. We've, we've read together from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, and obviously there in Acts 14 as well. But as with these other messages, we've been looking at, it's a bit of here and there, as we turn to different portions of Scripture and seek to make our points and understand what the Gospel is uh, with response to these objections and these questions. So, as I said earlier on, is Christianity simply a comfort blanket? Is it, is it a crutch for the weak? How do we answer that question if that's asked you? Maybe it's something that has been put to you and not too sure what to say in response. Well, may the Lord give us all the help we need this evening. Let's pray for a few moments and still our hearts before the Lord and uh, ask for the help that we need from heaven. Lord, we do not rely upon our strength this evening and we do not stand in any righteousness of our own, but we thank Thee for the covering and the clothing of the Saviour that makes us ready and acceptable in the eyes of a holy and a righteous and a just God. And we're glad also that part and parcel of our faith is that we do not bury our heads in the sand and wish for problems or difficult questions to go away, but to seek to answer them and to give a response of that hope that we have within us, to do so meekly and fearfully in the eyes of God. Bless now the word to our soul. Help me, I pray, in the difficult parts to make them simple. And may tiredness be banished from our midst. Distractions be gone. And may we give ourselves, Lord, may we give ourselves entirely to the word this evening. We pray in the Saviour's name. Amen. Now, I believe most of us this evening have heard at some point in our life of the individual Karl Marx. Uh, He lived during the 19th century, for much of the 19th century Uh, it appears, and uh, he was a German philosopher, among many things, an author as well, an economist, whose theories became known as Marxism, and uh, as we know, they became the the basis for communism. Marx wrote, uh, many have heard of this particular uh, piece of writing, he he wrote the Communist Manifesto, and uh, in this particular writing, he expressed his absolute rejection uh, and hatred, really, of, of religion. And he speaks of religion in a very general manner, not just uh, singling out Christianity. And, and Marx called religion as a whole, he says it was the opiate of the masses. It was his belief and his, his teaching that religion is not just used by those who are in positions of, of power to try to oppress the workers and keep them muzzled, but, but he also had the view that the workers themselves would really use religion to make themselves feel better about their environments. And so it was a circular problem and a vicious circle at that. that was, that's what, how he perceived things to be, of course. Uh, Marx went on to teach and to believe that if this comfort blanket of religion was to be taken away, well, it would cause workers to do something about their dire circumstances and working conditions. And um, Karl Marx dreamed of a, a communist revolution in which all religion would be abolished. And as he and others have believed since, people would find their, their happiness and find their contentment in, in being what he perceived to be equal uh, before each other. Well, we, we know looking back that clearly communism is a failed experiment and it, it always will be. But he was not the only one to object to religion, per se, in that manner, and certainly not the only one to accuse Christianity 
of being a comfort blanket or a, a crutch for the weak as a way of trying to deny the existence of God. You may have heard of the Austrian psychiatrist Sigmund Freud who accused Christianity of being the result of a deep-seated desire in humanity to, to find love and protection because of some bad experience in childhood, maybe from the hands of a father especially, but sometimes a mother. And as Freud often tried to suggest, people only look for religion because they're trying to replace what they lost in their childhood. That was his understanding. Well, do these objections have any foundation? And these objections, as they are turned out time and time again, in objection to the existence of God, the reminders that we who say we are Christian and those of us who say we believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ must understand that there are answers to give in response. Now, I mentioned earlier on that these types of criticisms are generally fired against religion. They're, they're indiscriminate. It doesn't matter if it's Christianity or Islam or, or whatever. We, we've dealt with that subject of which religion earlier on. But I'll say this this evening. It is only the Christian message, it is only the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the most powerful and direct response to these types of challenges. It really is. So my friend, this evening, is Christianity and is our faith, if we're saved this evening, if we know the Lord, but even if you're not saved and maybe it's something you've been asking and it's maybe the sticking point with you, it's the hurdle which seems to be insurmountable, it's the question that you've never really had a satisfactory answer for. Is Christianity just some delusion to prop us up because we're not strong enough to cope in the world in which we live? Or is it truth and reality? Well, as we shall see as we turn to scriptures, I believe the gospel gives us all the answer that we need, and uh, quite gloriously so. A number of things I want to leave with you this evening as we work our way through this. First of all, this is an objection. We, we think of this challenge. Is it a crutch? Is it a comfort blanket? It's a challenge which fails to appreciate God for who he is. For me, and I hope that you are with me in this, this camp of conviction and, and belief, we must always begin with God in, in really all of these challenges. It's the best place to start in your defense of your faith. And in the first message I pointed out tonight in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, as he writes to believers who are under the, 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 the caution, a sense, or under the attack of persecution, he says to them as Christians, you, you, you've got to have a readiness. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be ready to give a defense or an answer regarding the hope that is within you. Well, some of the, the challenges that we've dealt with, maybe we, we're okay with those. But this one this evening seems a bit harder, seems a, a bit more difficult. And, 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 and how do we go around answering it? What's our approach as we speak to men and women? They might seem really intelligent and they might seem really academic and they might believe themselves to be an ex-Marx or an ex-Freud in terms of their thinking and their philosophies. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. There are answers in the Word of God. We should be confident in that. It is the answer. Remember that the Bible will be our primary authority and we'll get back to that very soon. But I believe there is no harm in also reminding doubters and skeptics 
that their arguments are usually and oftentimes, I believe, always flawed arguments. And they can be, as we often say, be, be cut both ways. They can be turned against individuals. For example, think about this. Before we get to our main response regarding God himself. To say that Christians believe in God because they want it to be true means, and if we're taking the atheist here, for example, just a full-blown atheist, it means that they have to concede that they do not believe God because they do not want him to be true. See how it works both ways? You, you believe God because you want it to be true. You, you, you want to have something to lean upon. You want something on a rainy day. You want some sort of crutch to lean upon. Well, hold on there. If that's your approach, it's going to work for you. You don't believe God because you don't want him. Not because of the evidence. Not because there's uh, proof which is insurmountable. And, and, and think about this evening. Why would people not want God to be true? Well, I can think of many reasons why people do not want God to be true. It was my reason before my own conversion to Christ because I didn't want to be accountable. I, I, I didn't want to stand before a holy and a righteous God. I, to, to not even think of the possibility of there being judgment after death. There are multitudes of reasons why people do not want God to be true. And we can use that type of approach, but what I want to say this evening is not your main argument. Because these things cut both ways. It's why we get ourselves back to the word of God. And what I'll say is this. In making this type of objection, men and women fail to recognize the God of the Bible. You know when you've met someone who hasn't read the Bible or understood the Bible or know the God of the Bible because they're going to say things like this to you and they're going to think they've got the trump card in the pack. You think about how God reveals himself in the Bible. Now time doesn't give me um, the, the space on the time that I, that I have this evening to, to outline the entire nature of God. I, I don't think that's possible. But let's just take up one aspect one attribute, one feature regarding our holy and righteous God, his holiness, his justice, the true and the living God. Just a few verses. Uh, Habakkuk 1.13, we, we dealt with this in our Bible class a while ago. That thou art of purer eyes than to behold with acceptance it means evil. Think of Psalm 5, verse 4. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. In Isaiah's prophecy, what is it? The cry of the angels as they cover their eyes. It's holy, it's holy, it's holy. He's infinitely holy. He's the almighty God. And if ever we want to appreciate the full extent of the holiness of God, there's one place we always turn to, and it's Calvary, isn't it? To perceive and understand what it meant for thee, we often sing, the Holy One, to bear away our sin. There he takes the sinner's place, and the wrath of God is poured upon the Son of God. And then add to the, the equation something else. How is it God deals with his own children? For those of you that have been here for our Moses series, and we've been trekking with Israel and journeying with them for some time, well, how many times out of fatherly love does he chasten, correct? punish, rebuke. Sometimes he cuts them off. Many times, we might say. And these are glimpses of who he is. 
Now think about it this evening. If, as suggested, Christians wanted to be true, wanted God to be true, because they wanted some type of permanent comfort blanket or crutch, it does not make sense to, as they imagine, design or create or think of a God who is as the Bible describes him to be. If it was a, if it was a blank page... If it was, you know, a, a, a make-your-own-God-up, how do you want him to be? He wouldn't be wrathful. He wouldn't be a God of righteous anger. He wouldn't be a God that condemns men for their sins. He, he, listen, he wouldn't be a God that on the account of one transgression damns the soul for all eternity, and that's precisely the God of the Bible that is revealed. No, we would have, as the world wants, a user-friendly God. A God that, that really sort of tickles our fancies. The blank check God, the genie in the lamp God. That's the, the God the world wants and desires so much. But it's not the God of the Bible. And that is why those who sincerely know the Lord Jesus Christ must go to lengths to tell others that we do not go to God as if he's a God at our bidding. This is the almighty God. And the first thing that men and women must grasp about the God of the Bible, and, and I say that this type of answer and accusation that people put to you and say, it's only a crutch, you have no idea. You have no idea who this God is. You have no idea of how the Bible describes him to be the Holy One who inhabits eternity and whose holiness is his dwelling place. You have no idea. This is who he is. None have the right to frustrate him, and none can say, what are you doing, or what doest thou? And so when someone comes and says, you know what, your faith and your Christianity, it's just a crutch. It's a comfort blanket. that You can confidently say, have you read this book? Do you know the God of the Bible? Do you know who he is? And, and please remember this evening, all I've said is not the things which are only true of God. There's so much more, but I'm just giving you an illustration of one aspect of his being and his nature. Clearly, they don't know the God of the Bible. Well, we can carry on, can't we, this evening? Because then it's an objection which fails to understand the gospel for what it is. In our, in our land in which we live, in our town and in the world in which we live, where there is a multitude of religion and uh, seldom do people actually know God as Lord and Savior, two things go hand in hand. Where there is a, uh, really a, a lack of the knowledge of the true God, there is then, as a result, a lack of the understanding of the gospel. You know, what this gospel is, how God saves men and women from their sins. Now, I read a passage earlier on, and I read it for good reason. Mark chapter 8. If you turn to it uh, with me for a while just now. Mark chapter 8, and there are two reasons I, I read it with you, which will become clear, I trust, in this point. It is here that Jesus taught his disciples that he, the Son of Man... Now, notice the wording in Mark 8. Notice what he says in the likes of uh, verse 27 onwards, while we're looking at verse 31 especially. The word must... He began to teach them. And notice the word must and how it dictates the entirety of the verse. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. 
That word influences the entirety of the verse. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He, he must rise again after three days. And as the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his disciples, he tells them about something vital. This will happen to me because it must happen to me if there is to be salvation for the sinner. Now, what does Peter do? Well, you know the passage, we read it didn't we, earlier on, and it's a familiar one. He takes hold of the Saviour. It's hard to imagine, isn't it? Hard to think about. He takes hold of Christ. The Bible says he begins to rebuke the Saviour. Listen to Peter. Maybe it's what we would have done ourselves. And, 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 he, and he takes him and he begins to rebuke him. And other portions of Scripture, you know, Peter goes as far as saying, you know, this, this shall not be so. No, this, this, this will not be so. I'll lay, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll die for you. Well, the Savior rebukes him back. And Jesus says to him, and reminds Peter that how he speaks is not because Peter became Satan, that's not the, the thought there, but it's the influence of Satan. You see, where there is an opposition to the necessity of Christ dying, it's the influence of Satan. He must die. He must give himself. He must rise again. These things must happen. Now, why would I mention that this evening? Because at the heart of all objections, such as the one we're considering this evening, is a failure to grasp what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. And I believe, I really do believe this evening, that many professing Christians also fail because they haven't understood the gospel. They think they know it, but they don't. They think they believe it, but possibly they don't. Or maybe it's a very superficial understanding. Listen, if you are a child of God this evening, some of the best pastoral advice I can give to you is that you immerse yourself entirely in every glorious gospel doctrine and truth that you can possibly read in Scripture. The hymn writer wrote those words, Jesus, keep me near the cross. There's a reason why. For example, our, our subject at hand supposes that Christians become Christians or they believe in God because they, they want a way to cope in life. I, it's hard to, to say this without being offensive, and I'm going to say it carefully as I can, and I know that you know me long enough to know I'm not intending to be offensive in this manner. But if you project a type of Christian message to the world around you, you come across someone, they're having a hard life, and you say, well, look, you know, if you, if you try being saved, it solves the problems of life. Now, I know, I know the direction we're trying to come from, but that isn't the reason why a person gets saved. You've got to understand that. It's not the reason why. never has been. And, and if we, we speak and we witness in that manner, we've not understood what this gospel is. And, and we remind ourselves, it's, it, it's not because we become Christians because life has got so tough and so hard that we're just trying to find our way through life. Now, God will help you through. I mean, even this morning, I, I hope the message was, was a, a means to you know, help us in that particular area of our Christian life. But primarily, the first thing that confronts us is not how to cope in life, but the solemn realization, I must be saved because I stand guilty before God. 
Can you look back to when you were saved as a child, a teenager, young adult years, and that struck your heart with force? I'm guilty as charged. I'm a sinner. Before God, who is infinitely holy, if I die as I am, I'll die and be sent to a crisis hell. And while life might be very hard and very tough, there's something far worse. You're an enemy of God, left in your sin. And you're not reconciled. And that's why I've always felt in my ministry, in my Christian life, that one of the key words in our Christian vocabulary, because it's a key word in the Bible, is reconciliation. Reconciliation. It will challenge you. Think of how many times in the New Testament, and Paul especially, uses the word reconcile, to reconcile. Reconciliation. Romans 5.10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, he doesn't say if when we were having a bit of a difficult time in life, we were enemies of God. I know that doesn't attract people in. But it's honest truth. We're reconciled by the death of his son. Colossians 1, 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Why, why is that word reconciled so important for you this evening and me? Because first it reminds you the offended one is God. I'm, I'm not preaching a gospel, and I, and I hope my Christian ministry doesn't betray a Christianity that's sort of like a, a comfort blanket for those who find life a little bit difficult on occasions, but rather this reality that we have offended God. That's it, that's where we start. Number two, God is the one who actively reconciles himself to us. If we betray a gospel that is, you've offended God, so you have to get yourself back to God, we've missed it, haven't we? God is offended. God in his grace reconciles sinners to himself. Number three, this he does through the means he appoints. That is Jesus Christ and all that he's done. Number four, the effect is peace with God. That's it. That's, in, in a nutshell, much of this gospel that we love and we cherish. And that is a far cry from projecting this image of the Christian faith as that which wants some type of escape from the hard times in life. And please don't misunderstand me. Side by side, once we come to Christ, yes, casting our cares upon him. Yes, he's a present help in every time of need. You, you know that's what I believe and I preach. But I'm saying why a person gets to Christ in the first place. They need to be reconciled. So when someone says, your faith is a comfort blanket, you can say, my friend, you don't know the gospel. There's one more thing as we finish this evening. It's an objection which fails to recognize God's people for who they are. So it's a failure to appreciate God for who he is, the gospel for what it is, but then also to recognize God's people for who they are. Who are the people of God? And, and that's why we read through the end of, of Mark chapter 8 and verse 34 onwards. Number one, are people willing to bear the cross? That's what the Savior goes on to say in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. And when he calls his people unto them with the disciples, he says unto them, can you imagine the, the, the gathering now? They're all coming around. There's been a bit of a, a, bit of a stern word to Peter. 
bit of a hard word, Peter. You're getting a bit of comfort now. No. He sort of lays the gauntlet before them, the challenge. And he says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I don't read words of taking up a crutch or a comfort blanket, but a cross. A cross. He he goes on to say in verse 35, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. I could turn to many other passages to illustrate this point, but I don't want to do that this evening. I want to stay here for just a few moments. I'm going to read you a list. A list I've seen a few times over the years, circulated, whether it's online or through books. and It's a very helpful list. It gives the details of, of the majority of the apostles. Now, a bit of picture of salt. In terms of factual accuracy of every detail, it's hard to know for sure. But by and large, this is, this is accurate. What happened to the apostles? James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded. Acts 12, for example, we know that being the case. Thomas, uh, according to tradition, he was murdered in India. Uh, Simon the Canaanite, crucified. Simon Peter, uh, again, crucified in Rome. Mark, burned alive. Bartholomew, beaten, crucified, beheaded. Andrew, crucified. Uh, Matthew, speared to death. Philip, stoned and crucified. Read on to the book of Acts. You've got Stephen, he's stoned to death. You've got the Apostle Paul, we've read in Acts chapter 14. He he goes into Lystra. He preaches the gospel. He is stoned to such an extent that the Jews drag his body out of the city, outside the gates, because they believe they've got this man dead. That's Paul, in addition to everything else he suffered. What I find so astonishing about Acts 14 is Paul gets up. He gets up, he recovers. What does he do? He doesn't go to the rest. We're going back to Lystra again. He goes back in. I would not go back in. I don't think you would. And, and he goes back in. Listen. And he doesn't go back in because he thinks, you know what, I'm a tough guy. I'm going to show them what's what. He goes back in for the love of the saints of God. And I don't know how long before when he was stoned near to death to when he was to his feet and he goes back. It's not a long period of time. He goes back in, Acts 14, 22, and he confirms. It just means he's strengthening these new babes in Christ in the faith. And what does he say to them? Well, he says that we, through Or we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. It's not a comfort blanket. It's not a crutch. Hebrews 11, 35 onwards. You know the passage. Others were tortured. Others had trials of cruel mocking. Were stoned, the apostle says. Were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented. You read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. You read the early church. You, you, you know this history. Most of you do. You know what men and women suffered. Young people, in, in Reformation times, little ones suffered. And, and lives lost. And, and, and families separated. And, and, and wives murdered. And husbands taken away. 
and young and goes on beaches drowned alive. And, 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 and the Tyndales of the world in their dungeons and, and, and burned alive and all sorts of things taking place. And men imagine that this is a comfort blanket. It's preposterous. It's, it's nothing of the sort. I, I read from Hebrews 13. I've said that, Evan, I, I read these things, not because I want to give you the grimmest picture I can of the Christian faith, because there's, there's a whole balanced picture to this as we, we go through different messages, but to show you that by faith, men and women and young people, they endure these things by faith because they understood there is a city which is to come and there is a far worthier prize. And they understood they counted the cost of being a Christian in the first place. Now today, those experiences are not commonplace. In other parts of the world, they may well be. But still today, what will you suffer as a Christian? What will your cross be? Tensions in the home? Maybe it's a home where not everyone is a Christian or saved, and you find it difficult going back to your home. It might mean in your workplace, you're the only believer where you work, and you get the cold shoulder, or you get names uh, you know, behind your back, and people laugh at you, the butt of the joke, and so on. It's a constant challenge, and sometimes it's not easy. You might just be alone. That could be your cross. But the child of God is not someone who is looking for a comfort blanket in the way the world imagines. But realizing, if I am to be a Christian, I must bear the cross. I must follow him, no matter what it means. And then, just to finish this, are people who are willing to concede weakness. Now, uh, to hopefully not sound as if I'm contradicting myself, when we come full circle and we ask the question again, one more time, is it a crutch for the weak? In one sense, no. But in another sense, yes. You say, well, you're getting too old. You're, you're, you're forgetting yourself here. I'm not. Listen. Why, why yes, in another sense? Because the Christian understands that we have no shame in conceding and accepting that we are weak. Don't you understand that? I, I am, I am, in fact, I am so weak, I cannot do it myself. I cannot bring myself to God. I am weak, and I am undone, I am I'm guilty, I am in need. And when I'm in the heat of my trial and tribulation, yes, I need one that I can stay upon, and I have no shame in saying that. So why I became a Christian, but thank God it's one of the great benefits of being a child of God. You can cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And that's how you understand it. Christianity is not about calling for a comfort blanket because you're not tough enough to brave your way through life. But it's this understanding. I know who God is. I realize I need him. Now I know the gospel and what I must do to be saved. That is have Christ. And there in Christ I now have, according to the truth of the word of God, the everlasting arms underneath. And they are all around me. And that, my friend, is how we answer that question. It's about crying out to God first, be merciful to me, a sinner, and then, oh God, uphold me. Uphold me. And thank God he will. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven.
as we just still our hearts before thee this evening. We do remind ourselves of the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ once again this evening. And I know, Lord, we've heard these messages many times, but I pray for any that still in this moment, in this hour, they don't know, they haven't counted the cost. Lord, may the penny drop this evening. May eyes be opened. May there be now the cry in the heart, even as we sit here, before we leave, before we speak to friends and family around us, we get right with God. We realize we've offended thee, that we need to be saved. We need forgiveness. And we say, Lord, forgive me, save me, have mercy upon my soul. And then, oh God, we can taste and truly see that the Lord is good. Part us now with thy gracious blessing, we ask. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.